Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking powering heavy industry. Heavy industry accounts for some 30% of global power consumption. Of that, a significant portion is taken by the mining industry, which is also crucial for energy transition. To date, much of the focus around achieving net zero targets has been on deploying new technologies, renewables, and exploring alternative fuels for heavy plant. There's little discussion, unlike in households, around efficiency and harnessing new technologies and capabilities to understand where electrons are flowing and how efficiently they're being used. That's the topic of today's discussion. Our guest is Manoli Yanagis. Manoli is the MD and founder of VoltVision, a digitized industrial power information company. He's had a long career as a mining executive, running mines big and small around the world, and as an entrepreneur. Manoli and his organization have been focusing on just this, how to tackle efficiency of power use in heavy industry. As always, you can support the show by leaving a positive review on the platform you're listening on, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Manoli, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I I am looking forward to this discussion. We are talking about the challenge and in some ways the opportunity that heavy industry around the world faces, particularly in the Western world, where there's much more scrutiny and various tax and carbon regimes around their power usage. As we know from the last year, power prices have rocketed up uh, you know, in the wake of the energy crisis, but there's also greater scrutiny as well from shareholders, stakeholders, and so on. So it is a challenging subject, but there is also opportunity framed within that around how organizations can better manage these costs. After a decade of not really, you know, your energy costs were sort of last on your mind, you know, over the last few years, given how low they were. But let's start, Manoli, if we can, at kind of what are the challenges that heavy industry faces when it comes to energy and in particular power consumption? You said something there quite interesting. They haven't had to worry about their power costs. I think they always worry about their power costs. But what's happened over the last 10 years is the the price of commodities has been so high and the price of power has been so low that, as you say, they haven't really put that much thought into it. So I think when you combine that with the pressure that's coming from the finance industry to change the way they are using power. And that's being driven now by the the new generation of investor who's no longer willing to put money into dirty industries and dirty companies who are not making an effort. This is Generation X, Generation Z, who are the new uh, who are investing in pension funds, and pension funds now are pushing very hard to see companies change the way they generate power. Now, the pricing element is also obviously in pricing instability, no company wants to have pricing instability. But the mining industry, in a way, is used to this. I mean, they're used to this from a sales perspective. Uh, they don't usually operate in Spain. There are some or the UK. They're operating in Africa and South America where they've got instability. So the pricing instability, I think, is stomachable within most of the large mining companies. They know how to handle it. The bigger problem, I think, is security power security how how is how do you access the power so if you're taking hfo or diesel where's it coming from and this is a perennial problem 
how are you making sure that what you are ordering is going to arrive on time and is not going to the supply chain is not going to be disturbed theft is a really big deal when you're dealing with something like diesel which is cash for all intents and purposes so it's easy to steal when we were running mines in madagascar the big we lost 25 percent of our diesel and they were just sucking it out of the bottom of the vehicles and selling it Jeez. so that's a big deal and that's something that i think these companies are re continually trying to move away from and then grid most of the mines that we deal with are at the end of an already unstable grid so they're not getting power security they get a lot of cutouts power cuts lightning strikes or they just get shut off when the grid can't cope any longer so there, there is so many problems with power and that, that have already been there and always been there but now i think more than ever there is a big pressure around moving away from dirty power mm. It's everywhere, certainly in the UK, uh, Australian base. And we're talking um, mining because I know that's where Vault Vision is is focused. But this applies to any large, heavy industry. And, and having just come back from South Africa, where you know rolling blackouts across Cape Town as a result of uh, the grid not being able to cope because the nukes down eight hours a day. Yeah, you know, and 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 yeah, and the eight hours a day, and yeah. the the coal fired power plant is is having, by all accounts, rubble. You know, turning up at the gates, which then breaks the crushers that then, you know, shuts them down. You know, it's a, a whole host of issues. Well, there's your power security. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you, to your point on mining, this is about every industrial application that is used worldwide. It could be cement. It could be, or I mean, the oil and gas industry have got a similar problem. Mm. So uh, it's not just mining. But even though mining is a particular and, and problem, so you've got this, you've got this financial pressure, you've got stakeholder pressure, all of those things coming in, which are crucial when it comes to, especially in the in today's environment of high interest rates. How are you going to access lower interest rates? You've then got that very, you know, as you say, all bets are off when you actually can't mine or you can't run your plant because there is no power, and existing, you know, the the on-site existing sources diesel generators as we you know today as we're recording this you've got zaporizhia nuclear power plant running on 12 backup diesel generators yeah. to cool yeah. you know which is terrifying in and of itself there's also you mentioned in our discussions there's there's a, a wave of new technologies coming at these organizations as well right so whereas those are particular sweet you know pretty simple decisions about how you're going to have on-site power generation or whatever it was the world is also changing as you know both in terms of how people purchase power but also the options to generate it locally as well well yeah you're right in the old days it was diesel hfo generators or grid and that's it now you can start talking about solar you could talk about hydro you could talk about not many cases would you talk about wind so you've got the renew the suite of renewables and you've got hydrogen and these are all i go to quite a few conferences and i i, I listen carefully to what is going on in the marketplace and i listen carefully to how uh, these large companies have moved and it's it, it took a bit of time uh, i mean i think in all large companies it takes a bit of time then now suddenly it's like a stampede everybody is they've all made very big commitments to this net zero in many cases by 2030 and that's just around the corner that's going to be tough to make so the pressure's really on from the top in order to clean up the act so your options are as you say there are now more options 
you can look at solar solar batteries i think with solar you have a problem with batteries and lithium is not the static uh, it's my opinion but lithium is too expensive for static battery on, on a large scale uh, so if you take a 20 megawatt mine uh, you're going to need 70 megawatts of solar and you're going to need in the in, in in the region of combined battery and solar 200 million dollar investment in order for that to work 24 7. that's not going to work it's too expensive so the economics are not there and we're working actually with some with with the guys at anglo down in in, in, in South Africa, where they're doing hydrogen. So hydrogen's another area where everyone's very excited. Again, uh, a lot of the big boys are, are putting a lot of money into this. Anglo have created a, a hydrogen battery truck, a hybrid truck, um, and that is going to be in production, I think, by the end of this year. Now, I heard a statistic the other day around tr uh, that, that if, you, if you stopped, if you didn't use another truck in the mining industry, you'd save the equivalent amount of power as the country of Austria uh, produces on a yearly basis. So it's a lot. Mm. So something like hydrogen and battery in this application is very interesting. But how do you generate the hydrogen? Because yeah. hydrogen needs a lot of power. And also the timescales so to deliver that, So you're using diesel right? again? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing is there, this, this 2030, it's a really heavy lift to get to that point. Is it? It's interesting. Is it when you look at this... And you're in the boardrooms of, of all of the you know all of these organisations, like, and and having worked with them for a long time, is the main driver here a that sort of around those commitments, and it's kind of independent of the economics, or is there actually sort of this is the twin forces and the economics now are really crucial as well, and and you know how much does power? If we're talking about what are the big mining companies? I mean, how much is power? How significant a cost is it globally for them? If it doesn't make financial sense, they won't do it. There may be a slight divide with the majors, so like an Anglo-American or uh, a BHP. They may be willing to take a hit, but uh, further down the, ch the size chain, it is cost. So they are interested in, of course, they're interested in cleaning up, but it has to be financially viable and it has to be the paybacks need to be sensible. And I, I, I see, I, I see people putting it off for that reason. We're going to move on to the other route organisations can take when you start factoring in cost, which is really, you know, at the heart of this discussion is actually the discussion around efficiency. And I've been having a couple of conversations leading up to a future episode with an individual whose basic premise is that energy transition is an impossible lift. Just ignore the money, but essentially just the the infrastructure, the the energetics of retooling a global economy is just not feasible within the next 20, 30 years, which is a pretty bleak picture, which begs the question of what then? But the, you know, his focus is actually we should be spending all of our money enforcing and making all of our existing systems more efficient, the combustion engine more efficient than putting money into quite speculative ventures whether it's hydrogen or whatever it is but that i guess comes into focus in this discussion as well because there hasn't been much of an emphasis on actually efficient use of power in any in heavy industry for the most part for the last 10 years right i think that's partially correct the emphasis from from that i am seeing is let's quickly rush in and invest an awful lot of money into a 
large solar system, which will get you a 30% reduction in your in your CO2. It's almost a low hanging fruit. It's just easy to do, especially if you're on the equator, which a lot of these guys are, or at least they're in nice parts of the world where there's lots of sunshine. So, but that's only 30%. How do you do the other 70, which is what you're talking about? And then by the way, if you're going to go and make this investment, don't you want to make it onto what is already a, 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 an extremely efficient operation? Because if you don't do that, then aren't you then over investing in your solar or whatever it is that you've in, invested in to generate power that's not needed? So this is where the conversations that we and we, we, we got into this business, our business at Vault Vision, because we started by designing solar parks for industrial applications. And every time we asked for a power profile, we couldn't get it because they didn't have it. So they didn't know. They were blind in terms of operationally uh, uh, with, with power. Now, they all have very complex, well, not all. You have a lot of SCADA systems, and um, I'm sure most of your listeners will know what a SCADA system is in terms of it's an operational. I don't. Uh, so so okay. you know, what is a power profile and what is a SCADA system? Well, a power profile is how much power. You... I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to ask the dumb question. No, no, great. Uh, and I didn't know this either until a few years ago. A power profile is literally how much power they're using. Where's the power coming from? Where's the power being used? What's the point of use? and to be able to track that all the way through the system. And only when you do that, when you actually really understand where every kilowatt has come from and where it's going to and where it's leaving the system, can you understand how efficiently your system's being run. And then a SCADA system is effectively what is used to control the processing plant. So it is a, it, it, it requires a lot of data, but it's dealing with the production element. And it is a closed system. You can't access it because it's got control capability, which means that any data within it, you can't get it out. But it's focused towards how much how, how much am I producing and how can I produce more? That's what it's focused towards. It's not focused towards well, where's my power come from and how, um, how, how can I improve my power? So, you know, the, my, the, the these complex industrial applications mining oil and gas whatever it might be they're very focused on how do i make more rather than how do i make more for less and these SCADA systems sit sorry on your kind of whatever your on-site gen i mean i've been to a number of facilities and you know mini coal plants and all the rest of it, it that sits on that on-site generation well you've seen yeah. them then you've seen you've seen you've seen the guy sitting in front of all the screens that's the SCADA. It's made by Siemens or ABB or one of the really big, and it's an impressive piece of kit. They cost millions, but they're very focused on how do I make more. And this is and this sort of power profile. It's sort of this, the analogy is if I were to actually understand where in my house power is being used, I'll discover kind of a long lost Alexa that's been on, you know, in my daughter's bedroom for whatever you know, ten years or something, and it's been using all the power in the house, right? You know. That's exactly what it is. You'll find, you'll be able to know how often has the spin dryer been running for? How, how much power are your children using? You don't know everything. The toaster, how long has that been on for? You know everything. That's the point. And you can see it all on the press of a button. That's where you've got to get to. And if you're going to make the changes that you need, 
That's what, and you're already doing it with your heating because most people have smart heating now. They know exactly what's going on with their heating, don't they? Ten years ago, what did you do? But I live in Texas, so uh, <laughs> there's no such thing as a, <laughs> no such thing as a smart meter here. But yeah, yeah okay. I guess the point—that's well, a rabbit hole. <laughs> the point yeah. is, the point is made. Do organisations? I mean, how much granularity do these large, complex industrial plants have on that power profile? You know, is that information that's available? It's there. The information is invariably there. It's just not being picked up. So what is happening now, which is quite interesting. The, the, let's talk about Newmont as an example uh, of, a, of, of, of a forward thinking company when it comes to data. They are centrally monitoring every one of their uh, assets. And when I say asset, I mean site out of Denver. And all of the data is piped to a central control room where they have the, the most qualified people available within the company to be looking through every part of their business. And that includes power, includes other things, too. And they're investing millions on systems and the ability to do that centralized monitoring. Interestingly, what they can't get is access to the data. So what they are looking for are ways in which you can get this data that's already within the system and unlock it, untether it, if you will, so that you can get it up onto the cloud. So they're doing it, but now they're trying to, and, the, and this is where the IoT gateways and the kind of the, the edge, edge computing starts to come in. How do you get that data off site and up into the cloud so that they can utilize it, analyze it? So these big companies are doing it. The, the, the smaller companies, it costs a lot of money to do that. Smaller companies are looking at it, I'd say. And and the so you, and then you've got the two elements of this. One is obviously then you can figure out wh which are sort of the very inefficient parts of your supply chain or value chain or production process, right? And does that does that machine really need to be on, etc. There's also and this is kind of where I think we you know globally from a household level through to a business level, right? That the demand side. There's also kind of it's fine if you're producing your own power, but again, it always has a cost if it comes back to diesel or whatever it might be or you're using up unnecessary capacity on your solar panels. There's also kind of that demand side as well. I assume when you can retool these plants to be able to use most power when power is effectively cheapest, at least if they're attached to the grid. Time shifting. And again, you need to know, you need to understand your system and how you're using your... So if you've got a very big crusher that is, has a bit of capacity left over in it, well, you can use some more of that capacity when the sun is shining, if you've got a solar park, for example, or if you're on a split tariff grid contract at night. But you need the data. You need to understand what's going on. It might also be that you can overproduce when it's cheaper, when the power is cheaper. That's a form of battery. And that's actually the most cost effective form of battery. Or you may be over pumping the water that you might need over the course of the day. You do it at night, whatever it is that requires data that absolutely is the most efficient way to run your business and and more and more people are looking to do that now they're already into it but what we find now is that when we can actually improve the visibility of of how their operations are running they can do more of it so it's not like we're introducing a new concept the concept's definitely there people are already onto it it's just a question of how can they maximize it 
The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. I guess I don't really understand, and, you know, excuse my stupidity. I, what is the data, right? <laughs> what is the data and what's the challenge about getting it? Can you literally, does every system have the somewhere within it a track of where the electrons yeah, are going? they do. So the data, it's quite simple. It's volts and amps. It's how much power are you using? Well, how's the power moving? So power is quite a tricky one. It's come, it's a, 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 I'm not an electrical engineer, my, but most of my team are. And they describe it as wa- a bit like water. So if you don't control it, it all kind of heads off in one direction. Uh, and it becomes rather ineff- if, if, inefficient and hard to control. On, on an existing, so we're, we're very interested in high voltage and medium voltage. I'm not interested in your house. There's plenty of people who are able to get what is called low voltage data, whereas we're interested in high voltage. And what we mean by that is that's usually the, in this country, it's the transportation network. So, um, and, but also a lot of high, a lot of the big industrials use it. And it's very difficult to go and put sensors everywhere. So you can't go and, it's hard to go and put hard third party sensors in a, 33 kV substation, you just blow up. And you, apart from anything else, there'll be no warranties. There'll be no, uh, people don't want you in their substations. They get very nervous about it for the reason I just mentioned. And if, by the way, they they blow up as per previous episode, and uh, these things are very expensive and take a long time to replace, right? So it's pretty catastrophic. Six months, to, yeah. six months for a substation. And of course, you've got the problem of, yeah, well, so on an, uh, uh, all of the net, on an industrial network, you have uh, meters, but the meters in, in, in these instances are like mini computers, and they're collecting an awful lot of information. And actually, you can collect those, but very few people are centrally collecting these, this data. So it's there, but it's quite often it's not being collected. The second particular, uh, or the area that we're really interested in, this was called a relay and a relay is effectively a fuse. It's what you've got in your plug, the little brown 13 amp thing. I don't know what they've got in America, but in the UK. And it's what effectively it, it monitors every millisecond, large amount of data, up to 2000 data points. And that could be waveform. It could be harmonics. And this is noise. Uh, so power creates noise as well. So it's everything you could possibly want. And then every seven seconds, eight seconds, it's, determines there's no problem and it deletes the data so what we do quite simply is we take that data we trick the relay into giving it to us and then we put it up into the cloud so rather than it being deleted we're getting it and we're putting it into the cloud and once it's up in the cloud we can do all sorts of things with it and everything we do is really just to help our clients understand better what's happening on the ground whether they want to look at that in denver or on the ground in Burkina Faso is totally up to them, but they have the choice. And I mean, I, I'm assuming uh, it's not a sales pitch. I'm assuming though that that can be that's very powerful, right? In terms of 
I guess, recognizing where these obvious inefficiencies are, where you're using a diesel generator for something that you could use something else for at a different time of day or actually just turn off or whatever it might be. On this sort of, you know, the, the lens I come at this with is kind of this idea that new technologies have almost replaced making existing technologies more efficient. And I think that will change as prices, both of money and price of power goes up. But what kind of effect can this have? And is it mainly changing behaviours, you know, actions and processes, or is it actually switching out the old bit of technology that's consuming all the power and replacing it with a more modern, efficient, you know, widget, whatever it might be? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to touch on one thing, which is that if the company doesn't, as a structure from top to bottom, want to make the changes, then it's very difficult to achieve very much. It's got to come from the company that you're doing it with. And if that means that the guys on the ground don't want to see the change, then it's hard. That said, the opportunity that this gives you is twofold. The first is what I would call no capex. So you can effectively, with very little effort, change the way you're doing things. And that might be around power factor. It might be around how you interact with your grid supplier. And there are savings. There are always savings. And one of the things that I, it's boring. It's not a solar park. It's not 35%. It's 2% here, 1.5% there, 3% here. But these things add up. And so very quickly, you can get yourself into a 9, 10% saving across your static power network. And then there are the, what I would call the CapEx based improvements. And that could be around changing out a machine or a motor that is too big or too small and you're running it inefficiently. And you can then very quickly work out what the IRR is on that and make the change. So there are, and, and that's what you can actually, I think the guys at Richards Bay, which is a, a mine in South Africa owned by Rio, did a, an audit three or four years ago. They, I think they brought ABB in actually to do it on, a, on what's called right sizing, where you go and look at every single motor. And they changed out 40% of their motors and saved just under 20% a year in power. So there's some big savings available here if you choose to get into it. Mm. That's what we do. And it's all about what we said at the beginning. How do you make your operations as efficient as possible? And how much are you willing to do to do that? Yeah. Well, the backdrop to this as well is that the reality is that, okay, let's, you know, the, the, the energy transition is going to involve a hell of a lot of mining. And the reality is in 10 years, there's going to be more heavy industry than less. You know, if we're all going to uh, continue to have improving quality of lives on a global basis and the, the march forwards in, in progress and, and growth, however you feel about that. Right. So and, you know, in order this is sort of the other flip side of the coin to installing decarbonization power production. Ideally, we're using less of it because mining, the reality is that mining, all the materials that go into solar panels, into wind farms and so on, as we've covered on this podcast a lot. Outside of the carbon intensive, it's also environmentally degrading, right? So, you know, the emphasis here on efficiency for industry is going to be a crucial part of the solution going forwards. You know, as we're all asked in our homes to be more efficient, quite rightly, those same things apply in heavy industry. So this is, I guess that's why I wanted to have this conversation and do the podcast on it, because I just, it's interesting to me that we haven't yet really focused on efficiency 
in our 140 episodes, you know, versus kind of the the big sweeping, as you say, quite glamorous changes uh, on that, you know, of new technologies and so on, on that journey to lowering our carbon footprints. It has to be both. It absolutely has to be both. And if you can't get in order or get your house in order, if you will, there's no way that this net zero is going to be achieved. I mean, we talk, you talked about this heavy lift. I, I think 20 to 30 years is probably about right, but you're just never going to get there unless you can bec- become as efficient as possible. And it's not just in power. It's in every aspect of how you behave. I mean, mining, in order to transition, we're going to need a lot more lithium. We're going to need a lot more of the rare earth. I mean, mining goes on. Yet mining is 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 what is it, 5 to 8%, it's a pretty broad number, of total global power consumption. It's a big number. And that's not even the industrial. I mean, if we go to industrial, I think there's a number out there around electrical motors in the industrial sector is about 30% of global power, but it's huge. It's really very big. So if we can't get that number down, then becoming sustainable I, I don't see how that's possible because we're just going to keep on generating uh, large amounts of co2 so yeah, especially when those industries by the way are being being you know have are going to the developing world right uh, as you know the long-running sort of outsourcing of environmental impact you know, again as we've just covered that's ultimately why the china currently owns the battery supply chains around the world is that europe uh, and the us in particular yielded it to them to avoid the environmental impact and actually in the course of that china quite smartly chinese businesses you know decided that they'd own the value chain rather than just do the dirty bits again and just as we discussed earlier right the the further you get away from developed economies the less stable the more the less likely you are to be using renewable supplies in some senses you know and the less controls there are as well where is where is just so I guess you know to start wrapping up where where I, I I'm fascinated by this so so is Volt Vision basically a, a technology and where are you where are you at in terms of you know the business growth the cycle and you know and, and penetration I guess so I look at Volt Vision as a two is is as an end to end solution well, it sounds very kind of grand doesn't it but what did it basically I split it in two. First, the acquisition of the data. That's the first part of what we do. The acquisition of data from, as I mentioned, it, we use our own IoT that we can we extract the data through. And it's, it's, it's all about security and being able to get the data out in, in, in an efficient way. And the second is actually knowledge. So our team are, are electrical or instrumentation, and they're all X industrial application and it's then the ability to take data because data is great but you know i often talk to people and i ask them about their data and they're like yes 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 we've got a great big data lake and i'm so well what are you doing with it well we someone goes in every now and then and puts a spreadsheet together and we we all make our own charts well actually how do you get data into information and information that you can use because what we're interested in is giving our clients access to something that they can use. You know, they're busy guys and they're in pretty tricky environments quite often. And then they're working, what are they working? They, they, they work like two months on and, uh, and a month off or three months on and they work seven days a week. It's, it's, it's hard. 
So it's all about trying to make it easier for them. So where it's it's this two phased approach, get the data and then make the data information. So that's what we are. We are, uh, as far as clients, we work with Anglo. We're just starting our commercialization. So it's taken us a bit of time to develop everything in terms of knowledge. We're also doing a lot of work with um, universities here in the UK to develop algorithms so that we can do rather than just power quality, which is what I talk about, I've talked about mainly here. But we also do condition monitoring where because we're able to take this data, we're able to see how these big machines and we're talking six megawatt mill. I mean, it's a big mill. They're worth millions. How are they performing? And can we see when things start to change? So and, and that product's rolling out now with a number of our clients. But we are, I would say, early stage commercialization. We, we've digitized six of Endeavor's, Endeavor Goldmine's assets in West Africa. And they're a very forward thinking. I, I think they're mid-tier company. They're pretty big, six assets. Um, but they're, some of their assets are quite old. So we've been able to help them see exactly what's going on across all of their mines, which they couldn't do before. We've delivered them some quite significant savings. And we've helped them start to see pathways to operational efficiencies, which they know better than we do because they know their assets best. And the next step is to start moving into, we were just down at Indaba in Cape Town, like you. I don't know if you were at Indaba, but um, we also had eight hour power cuts. Uh, And we met quite a few of the bigger mining companies who are very interested in the fact that we're able to access data. So it's what I mentioned earlier. How do you untether the data? So, yeah, it's exciting for us in terms of this is an interesting area. It's um, quite often I I, I do get kind of pushed to one side whilst they bring the solar boys in. But uh, people are beginning to realize that efficiency is 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 a critical part of net zero yeah yeah and as we've highlighted i think you know it's sort of when you step back it's one that's yeah, as you say is sort of somewhat neglected well it's not glamorous is it no no um but it will be <laughs> it, i mean you know you were, you were mentioning earlier on you know 10 percent savings on these 20 megawatts is is significant especially if uh that means that you're plant is up more time right i mean the, the cascading impacts are quite quite powerful yeah and and well, there, there is that as well and if people are interested in in the business how do they find you are there opportunities to invest etc cetera, etc cetera? yeah uh we are well you can find us at um voltvision.live and we are actually doing we're going to do a fundraise quite we're doing one we're about to start one actually which is exciting because uh, it's going to be so that I can accelerate us into not just different geographical locations, because at the moment we're really mainly focused on an African vertical. I want us to go into South America and, and to Asia, but also into different uh, into the different industrial verticals. And we're, we're actually developing some other technologies as well around all around high voltage, so where we can effectively bypass the expensive digitization process. So, for example, substations in in the UK and actually in the US are pretty old tech now and uh, they were built in the 50s. So how can you actually efficiently digitize them without having to replace large amounts of equipment? So we're developing stuff around that. So that's what we're, yeah, that's what we're doing. As we mentioned in the episode, Vault Vision are going through an investment round. 
If you want more information on Vault Vision, the business, or on the investment opportunity, please do email us at investment at hcgroup.global. Awesome. Well, kudos to you. Probably people can tell. I, th- I just think this is a, you know, however we end up coming to these solutions, yeah. using less energy is always probably a good thing, given the likely growth in energetic demand over the next 10 years, with or without um net zero you know i mean everything is only we're we're producing more computers etc every day and and people are using more power you know it's sort of an unsaid story that of the, of the next decade but um well manoli it's been great fun chatting yeah. you know, having the discussion and uh look forward to, to checking thank back you, in in a couple of years and seeing the learning then and, and and where you guys are thank you paul thanks for having me thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.